Hello and welcome to Questions You're Not Asking. My name is Tom French and I am here with my co-host, Chris Morphew. Hey, Tom. Hey, Chris. Chris and I are writing a book with responses to a bunch of absurd questions about God and the Bible that you're probably not asking and probably don't need an answer to. As we prepare to write the book, we're letting you in on our discussions. This week, we don't have a question that we are answering because we are having the second half of our discussion with Reverend Dr. Graham Stanton from Ridley College, and he's going to be answering a whole lot more questions. But before we get to the rest of that interview that we started last week, Chris, how are you going? I'm going all right for my 79th day in lockdown. I got to go out to a park with up to five fully vaccinated other adults today, so that was fun. How many did you go out with? One. I'm working my way up to it because, like, you know, it's been a long time cooped up. Yeah. If I saw five people all at once, I think I'd just freak out and not leave home for a week. <laughs> well, that's what they want to happen. It was good, though. It's It was freezing cold. It was, like, 12 degrees. But in the time that we were there, there were multiple picnic groups that had come through and everyone had the same kind of energy of it's cold it's about to start raining we would never be out here on a day like this normally but we're allowed to so we're going to do it and so there was this very stoic group of four older adults who came out to the same park as us and they spread out a tablecloth on the park table on the picnic table and they had glasses of wine like real glasses and oh. like a, a full uncut loaf of bread on a breadboard they were like having a a meal out there it was it was a beautiful thing to see yeah. i mean this is very limited our lockdown is not done by a long shot but this tiny little concession felt huge after 10 weeks or 11 weeks or whatever it is locked in the one yeah. space yeah like when we're allowed outside and we didn't have to be exercising. We were allowed to just sit down. And so we sat in the park and worked at a picnic table. It was magical. It felt so good. Are you allowed to do that currently? I can't. I don't know. I really, I find it difficult to know what all the rules are. So I, I don't really do it. I just go, I exercise when I'm outside. But I don't think so. But, but I don't know. Because we, as of today, I think, allowed to be out for recreation rather than just for exercise. Mm. So I could go sit in a park with my vaccination certificate and my laptop and do some work if I wanted to just, you know, not be in the same tiny apartment. Can I tell you, I've already told you this, but you can pretend, you can either pretend it's the first time <laughs> or... But I want to tell the listeners about my exciting new lockdown hobby in case anybody else wants to take it on. Do you want me to uh, ask you about it so that it seems sure. natural? Yeah. Chris, so do you... Only do you if have... you leave in the part where you <laughs> tee it up. <laughs> so do you have any new hobbies? Uh, oh, I'm so glad you asked lockdown? naturally, Tom, um, because I do. I have just gone back to my old gigantic stash of Animorphs books and I've started rereading the Animorphs series, which I believe you've never read. I have never read the Animorphs series. I feel like you'd like them. They are kids turning into animals to fight aliens. and That sounds fun. And in the corner of each one is a flip book. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, you so flip the pages and the kid turns into the animal before your very eyes in full That's... 90s 
CG. So today's video from you was a animation. Did Animals inspire you to make that animation of the giraffe? It might have gone the other way. Maybe when I was doing animating, something clicked in my brain and I was like, oh, I wonder if Animorphs books are still good. And if the first 12 pages of the first one are anything to go by, they are. So they're pretty short. If I read one a day for the next 60 days plus spin-off books, we might even be out of lockdown by the time I run out of Animorphs books. You, you might be. You know what else you could do? You could mm. read a book of the Bible every day, Chris. You could be a real Christian. Well, sixty-six. I could. Reading these animals books, have they taught you anything about yourself, Chris? They have. I like aliens a lot, <laughs> which I believe is relevant to our discussions on this podcast, Tom. So it's all research with the right mindset. Yeah, you can claim this as a tax write-off. I think. Great. I hope I still kept my receipts from 1996. I'm trying to remember if we talked about aliens in the last... I didn't. I don't remember what, what week we're up to, if we had Aliens with Graham last week or this week. I'd like to start a spin-off podcast called Aliens with Graham. I think that would be quality listening. <laughs> yeah, well, either if you've listened uh, to the last week and you're going to listen to this week, you either already have listened to Graham talk about aliens or you're about to listen to Graham talk about it anyway regardless the animorphs conversation is the natural bridge between the two episodes which is why <laughs> i bring it up it's called podcasting tom <laughs> thanks i i appreciate you teaching me mm. about this should we do a podcast we should we should so ladies and gentlemen i hope you enjoy this second half of our conversation with graham here it is all right should we do another yeah. question yep okay oh it's aliens I love this question. So does the gospel apply to aliens? Okay. Now, I've actually thought about this, and I've never really had the confidence to say it publicly because I think it's a bit off the wall, but <laughs> only to two types of aliens. Which two? Well, whatever God chooses. So here's my thing. Okay. The gospel as we know it only applies to humans. So the second member of the Trinity became human and he remains human. And so Jesus didn't stop being human at the ascension. Paul says that in Acts 17 that uh, God has appointed a day when he will judge the world by the man he has appointed. Mm. And he proved this by raising him from the dead. Jesus is a man, like a male human being. And he remains a male human being and he will be for all eternity. So Jesus can't become the redeemer of a non-human because Jesus, as a human, is a substitute, a representative of humans. Mm -hmm. okay? So Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, can't become the redeemer of another alien race. And he couldn't have previously redeemed some alien race because then he would have to stop being that alien and become a human. Mm -hmm. yeah? But there are two other members of the Trinity. <laughs> So here's, here's my thought. The only possibility is that uh, there are two other alien races who are morally responsible to God. And maybe for one of those planets, one of the other members of the Trinity became incarnate as a Martian and the other member of the Trinity became incarnate as a Venusian or whatever, wherever else. So we get to the new creation and there's Jesus and he's hanging yep. out with like a, a lizard girl and a squid boy. 
And we're like, yeah. what's going on there? And he's like, oh, well, this is mm. us. This is me. That's right. This is the Trinity. Yeah. And you thought the shack was weird. <laughs> and then there'll be the lizards and the, and, the, and the squids. They'll be on their own planets, but maybe then we'll have invented interplanetary travel. I am confident personally that we'll smash space travel in the new creation because all of the obstacles like time, our capacity to cooperate, you know, money, like none of that's going to be an obstacle anymore. Hmm. And so, so eventually we'll get there. Yeah. But do you think if yeah. that, like, let's say your hypothesis is true, do you think Jesus would tell us straight away? Or do you think we'd get to like, you know, five million years into the new creation and then we discover aliens and then we find out <laughs> and we go like, oh, that's why the father looks like a squid. <laughs> Possibly. Or maybe the father might, might not have revealed himself to us in mm. his squid body. Mm. Mm. Maybe that's why but, he spoke in a cloud because yeah. he's a... yeah. Oh, but then the other thing to say, of course, is that that would mean then that there is a, a second and a third gospel because the gospel is a story. The gospel is the story about how Jesus was born to Mary and, you know, lived, died um, and uh, rose and ascended. That gospel narrative, that's good news for human beings. Mm. So maybe there'd be a Martian gospel and a Venusian gospel. So, so Jesus has a particular relationship to the Spirit and the Father yep. here. Do the roles shift so that the fa Father, Squid Father, has is responding to like, oh, your heavenly Son is going to, to he knows yes, what that, you want that, before that you need it. That would be required for this scenario to work out. <laughs> to me, that's the biggest spanner in the works. Yeah. I mean, people debate this theologically, whether there is an, of the three members of the Trinity, is what we see in what's called the economy of salvation, you know, so in the, the working out of salvation of the Father sending the Son, and then the Father and the Son sending the Spirit, does that reflect an eternal ordering within the Trinity? Or is it that at some point the three co-eternal and co-equal members of the Trinity decided together that the Son, the second member, would submit himself to the Father to become incarnate and the Spirit likewise. Hmm. So they're, they're broadly the sort of the two the two theories. Well, here's another, another option to run past you. What if there are other humans on other planets? So they're aliens, but they're fully human aliens. Like yeah, like the Skywalker family are like humans. The Skywalkers, yeah, yeah. So what would need to happen? They would need to be, they would need to be descended from Adam in some sort of sense. See, this is where I get caught up in, uh, like, on the historical Adam thing. <laughs> you know, again, there are theological theories. One is that it's the being biologically related to the one human being, original human being, that creates the the human race. Others talk about just the literary value of this as a narrative, a way of understanding the nature of the human race, where we are all human and having a common ancestor is a way of expressing that. And Jesus, the second Adam, is a way of helping us to understand Jesus' role as the representative and substitute. So how significant the first Adam as a particular historical single person 
is a hot topic in theology these days. Hmm. And I wonder whether if one of my colleagues here who teaches systematic theology were here, they might be able to set you straight and would set me straight, or whether I'm just going to get fired once this is um, <laughs> once this is uh, well, known. Yeah, let me put myself out on the theological limb then. If we assume, for the sake of this theory of alien salvation, that the connection to Adam is more literary than directly historical evolutionists including like christian evolutionists like simon conway morris talk about like convergence about the idea that evolution finds the eye over and over again and it finds you know particular way particular aspects of biology you know it's when you find similar forms it's often because there's a common ancestor, but it's sometimes be, like, despite the fact that there isn't, and it's like nature finds bits and finds the same solution multiple times, which, you know, as a Christian shouldn't surprise you because if evolution is God's tool to bring life on earth to some particular point, then why wouldn't that be the case? But it, like, I guess I'm just thinking. If you take all of that on board, then wouldn't it be possible that humans emerged on some other planet as well? And and they might have had a parallel fall. I don't know. Sure, sure. I think the thing that I'd add there is that you've got to put God's intention within mm. that evolutionary thing. Sure, yeah. yeah. So God's not just setting it up and letting it go, but there's uh, a sovereign directing of this whole process. I'm happy, totally happy with that, and and as a way of the the how of creation fitting in with the the why and the and the purpose of creation, the origin and purpose of creation from Genesis one. I'm not so interested in those those questions because I, I just don't think they're the questions that the text asks mm. or answers, and I don't think they're questions that are actually useful for the way that we live our lives which maybe comes down to the practical theology thing in me, that there are some questions where I think the answer to that doesn't change the equation of how do I live for God today? Yeah, I'm starting work on a short little book for kids on do I have to choose between God and science? And the the thing that's requiring the most kind of finessing in the outline are those chapters about creation and evolution and the first human beings and the six days and all of that. And it's interesting for me because I'm, I guess, of a similar mind to you where I'm like, eh, like, you know, when it's all said and done, none of that really changes my faith hmm. either way. So the fact the but, fact that God did it and the fact that God did it for our good and his glory is enough. How he did it is fascinating. Yeah. And, and like, that's definitely where I land, but I've been reminded just how much of a big important question it is to some people like to yeah sure and like and you know i would argue that people make more of it than is necessary but that's also because of i guess some of the theological places that i already land about it which leads me to go yeah you know if i get to the new creation and I'm asking Jesus about it and he's like, no, I told you six days, read it again. Like, it's obvious. I said that. I'll be like, oh, okay. And if, you know, he says, no, like, clearly that was 
literary design. It wasn't six literal days. I'll be like, yeah, well, yep. I guess maybe, like, before I thought it all through, it did loom larger in my mind. But now that I've thought it all through, I'm just like, yeah, it's interesting, but it's not the main game. And maybe that is, like, I guess, you know, you were asking earlier before we started recording, like, who the audience is for this podcast. And I think maybe... Like, in a weird way, these questions are, like, new ways into these old topics. But anyway. I, I waver between, you know, on the on Young Earth Creationism and Six Days, I waver between this being a disputable matter and this being plain wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, say, for instance, we were having a debate around the, the name of the sower in the parable of the sower. And Jesus says, a man went out to sow. And there are people say it's it's so obvious that his name is Fred, and it's really important that we that we say his name is Fred. I'd say that's that's actually an unhelpful argument. Arguing that does not help us understand the Bible at all, and it actually becomes misleading. It it takes us away from what the scriptures are saying. There is no value in having a discussion about what is the sower's name. So sometimes I I think, you know, six-day creation, it's just not what the text is about. We must move on from here so that we can read the text faithfully as it's presented. It is not not a scientific text. The, The question of how did God create this vast array, like what was the precise method that he used, was not a question that Moses and those who first inherited this text even considered it had had no relevance to them whatsoever but then of course i do have christian friends brothers and sisters who sincerely disagree with me and are committed young earthers and i don't doubt their love for jesus and their love for the scriptures so i think okay well maybe this is a disputable matter and i use the language disputable rather than secondary because often for them it's not secondary Mm. it's a it's a primary matter because it goes to the heart of our belief in god's power and God's faithfulness and the reliability of God's word and those things are not secondary those things are primary yeah yeah I was going to say like for me I can understand how it could feel extremely primary because if you read the bible in such a way that it really does come down to well if I stop believing in this then don't I need to stop believing in the resurrection then that's terrifying Mm. and that it is all important if that is what the stakes are and for people who are convinced that that is what the stakes are, then, yeah, like, I think it's been a good kind of little rebuke for me negotiating through all this stuff that I need to be less invested on being right and being seen to be right and convincing everybody that I'm right and more focused on introducing people to the love of Jesus. And so, like, mm. in a weird way, my attempts to be like, no, it is it is a secondary issue can kind of make it strange way a primary issue for me when really if it's if i'm so convinced it's secondary maybe i should just drop it yeah yeah so getting back to the alien question i think (laughs) i i would not be surprised at all if we if we were to find or if there exists uh life on other planets and it would be as fascinating to me as it is when they find a new species of mollusk on the bottom of the ocean yeah part of the vast array of creation find some other animal and that'd be fascinating and it could be really useful for human beings there might be something in their mucus that that heals parkinson's disease 
and that would be awesome. Be and a so, poop yeah. replacement, so we don't need to poop in the new creation. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's something <laughs> that you that you ingest that makes you poop actually, you know, like a soft serve, you know, like unicorn poop. Yeah, you know, so I'm all for space exploration. You know, absolutely, go for it. Explore space. Get your telescopes out and explore the the bottom of the ocean. Whether we find sentient life that is morally responsible uh, to God and, you know, in that sense created in the divine image. Well, I think it's a long shot. There's, there's, there is a way that I can sort of figure that maybe there are two possibilities for that. But, you know, I, I do say that knowing that I am way out on the edge of the shaky limbs of the theological tree at that point. <laughs> what it does say to me is that being human is extraordinary. Yeah. You know, at worst, we are one of three. At, at best, within the vast array of space that God has made for his glory and his delight. Mm is these human beings and and what a glory that is how incredible that god doesn't need to also have created anything else beyond humanity to express his image into the universe like what an incredible privilege it is to be human with that in mind yeah yeah and yeah, again think really about cool. the, the the metaphor we're given that we are children of the heavenly father i've often used the story of you know, driving holidays when I was a kid, we'd be woken up before dawn, lifted out of bed, put in the car, make sure you've got your teddy and your pillow, and <laughs> Dad looks after everything else. You know, my bag was packed and put in the back of the car, and Dad knows how to drive the car and where to drive the car to, and all I had to do was to get my pillow and my teddy and get into the car, and I was so excited. And I didn't stress about all the things that were outside of my control. I didn't stress about the things that I wasn't aware of or the things that could go wrong and that I didn't know how to fix. So I just trusted my dad. And my dad had a world that was far bigger than anything that I could comprehend mm. as a as a four-year-old. And all of that world really was coming to bear on this moment so that I could have a really cool holiday up the coast at Nana's place. And God is our dear Heavenly Father who has organized this whole universe and it's for our good and for his glory. Mm. That's great. Shall we have another question? Second last question. If the multiverse is real, is there a Jesus in every multiverse? And is there an evil Jesus? I love those questions. Okay, it's a big if. Do we need to go into that? Like, yeah. it's a big if, if there is a multiverse. And there are two reasons for that. One, if there is a multiverse, we would have been destroyed by now. Because if there is a multiverse... There are a whole stack of multiverses in which there are aliens. And of those, there are a stack of them in which some of those aliens have an evil intent towards human beings. And in some of those multiverses where there are aliens with evil intent towards human beings, some of them would have developed the technology to destroy us. And so if there is a multiverse, we would not be here. Yeah, well, it's kind of like why I don't believe in time travel. No, or, the, or maybe that doesn't work. Maybe that doesn't work. Maybe that just says that in a multiverse, humans have been destroyed. Although if I there mean, was... No, no, no. If you add to it that there's some some aliens who have, who have developed the ability to travel between multiverses, that's the missing link. Yeah. There's got to be people if there are that many. You know. Anyway, that's one argument. The other argument is just it's the reverse gambler's fallacy. So, you know, that idea that if, if somebody is playing the pokies and they've been playing for six hours and they haven't won yet, they think, oh, but if I keep playing, 
then I'm going to win. Mm. I've got to win soon because the odds are that, you know, eventually I've got to win. Okay? That's yeah. just not true. It doesn't matter whether you've been playing for five minutes or five hours. Each time you pull the stick, you've got a one in nothing, one in four billion chance of winning. So the reverse paradox is when you see somebody who has just won on the pokies, you conclude, oh, they must have been playing for hours because the chances of them winning are so small. And the answer, that's, that's totally false. They might have just turned up. They just got lucky. So multiverse doesn't make logical sense. And, uh, you know, I don't think it fits with the whole, you know. Anyway, that's not what you asked me. I would say there could only be two other incarnations. I think the same thing with the aliens would pl- apply to multiverses. But essentially, that's grounded in that belief that, well, if there is a multiverse, then God stands outside that multiverse. So there would not be multiple gods. There is one God. And God, as God is to us, revealed as three persons, is God as he is. And so that same Trinitarian God would stand outside every other universe in the multiverse so God's character doesn't change, is what I'd say. So you've got, like, the incarnation of Jesus in one of these multiverses. Mm-hmm. So there's only one. Well, there could be the Father and the Spirit mm-hmm. incarnating mm-hmm. in two yeah, others. Yeah, if you're going to go out on that yeah. theological limb. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so does that mean that the all the humans in all the other multiverses condemned to the judgment of God because they don't have a Jesus in their multiverse or can the gospel, like the death of Jesus cross multiverse borders? I'm guessing if there are multiverses, then Jesus could be incarnate as a human being across whatever multiverses have human beings in them. Is that how it works? I reckon. Cause I think when we, when we did our podcast episode on the aliens question, and we were speaking to Dr. Natasha Moore, I think she raised the idea of, like, you know, if there are lots of different aliens and and God is, you know, coming to their Earth to save them, he's just, like, constantly making a bunch of trips and dying and coming back to life again. Whoever she was quoting was kind of saying the existence of aliens renders the idea of Jesus' death on the cross ludicrous, but... You know, you'll be pleased to know we decided it didn't. But I think in the multiverse, you could argue that he was really only doing it once, even if he was doing it in multiple universes. I guess that comes down to the physics of the multiverse, which is not my area of specialty. Talking about things that aren't our area of specialty is what Tom and I have based an entire podcast on. Don't let that... <laughs> area of specialty. Um, yes. But no, I think you've you have compellingly answered the question, which is that no, there is not an evil Jesus, and if there is a Jesus in every multiverse, it's the same Jesus. Yeah, or it is the same and, God. The and I would say, yeah, and I would say that if God is not able to be incarnate in another multiverse, and and in this one, okay, which you know, who knows, if that was the case, then there wouldn't be a species created in God's image that he could not redeem, that would then be condemned by virtue of having no possibility of redemption because that wouldn't be in God's nature. Mm. So then I don't believe that God would create a, a race that could not be redeemed. Yeah. Or maybe we're the only universe where humans fell. 
maybe in every other universe they're just on the straight and narrow. Yeah, possibly. But, but then if that's the case, then the, those human beings wouldn't have the same relationship with God that we have by virtue of the incarnation. Yeah, they're kind of like the angels. Yeah. See, here's a theological question. If Adam and Eve hadn't fallen, would the second member of the Trinity still have been incarnate at some point? And I think the answer is yes, because there is more blessing in the incarnation than just redemption from sin. Mm. There is a, a fullness of our relationship yeah. with God that is beyond Adam's relationship with God. In which case, if we're the only fallen universe, we are the hassle incarnation. Like, all the others he gets <laughs> to just go down uh, and hang. Uh, and for us, he's like, yeah, sure. oh. But if we're saying there are humans in other multiverses that... The reason that we're saying that they didn't fall is so we're not stuck with a human race that God created who can't be redeemed. So we're assuming at this point that God can't be incarnate in other multiverses if he's been incarnate in this one. That would also then mean that in that other human race, that human race would uh, not have the quality of eternal relationship with God that human beings on in this multiverse have because God has become incarnate as one of us. And I don't think God would do that either. So if we go with the kind of multiverse theory that says there's a different Chris and a different Graham and a different Tom, yeah, but it's all still us, right? And so like if that's how it works, then... Uh, no. I was going to Jesus incarnate as him in every multiverse, but then things get real tricky at the Ascension. Yeah. Not that just saying multiverse doesn't make things tricky. Well, right. <laughs> like in the multiverse thing, when I'm born in this universe, does that mean that there's a me born in every other multiverse? Or is it just that there is a me born in a stack of other Yeah, multiverses? it wouldn't be all of them, because in the ones where your parents never married, or anywhere up the chain, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. So the number of multiverses is mind-bogglingly enormous. Mm. Or zero, depending on how things actually are. I'd rather go with zero. Yeah. <laughs> it makes more logical sense. <laughs> yeah. And again, it brings us back to the whole wondrous gift of God's love and kindness in lavishing his love on human beings, mm. this one race on this speck of a planet in the entire universe. Now, the reason that people posit the multiverse is because people can't get their heads around the goodness of God to create something so wonderful. Yeah, it's the get-out-of-jail-free for materialism. Yeah, so how do you explain this world that is so intricately beautiful and wonderful? You know, the whole finely-tuned thing. Well, you say... Well, they must be random, but that either leads you to say, well, we got extraordinarily lucky, or you say, oh, no, 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 because there's just millions of these things, billions, trillions, more than we can even imagine. Mm. And I think, in one sense, the multiverse ultimately serves to denigrate the glory of God. So if we're Christians, if we do believe in that there is a God, there is absolutely no need for a multiverse. Mm. In which case, why are we positing a thing with no material evidence whatsoever when we've already got the incarnate God who is yeah. our material evidence for how things really are? Sure. I mean, because it's cool is my only response. 
So final word on the multiverse is even if there is a multiverse, God stands outside it. God would have created it. Mm. And God's character is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yep. And in different multiverses. What do you call a single verse within a multiverse? Because it's not a universe because the universe says there's only one. Isn't it a universe? Because it is just one. It's a universe within the multiverse. Yeah, because a a multiverse is just multiple universes, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah, okay. Don't know. Yeah. Which raises the question, what is it if it's not everything that there is? But that's yes, a whole other so thing. That we watched a minute that's physics the other, video. Another argument that. against the multiverse <laughs> is that there are linguistic pro- problems. <sighs> you really don't like the multiverse, do mm-hmm. you? Okay. If you watched YouTube, you would get your mind changed. <laughs> About a lot of things. I'd be a flat earther as well. <laughs> All right. I will ask our last question. The last question of this... Epic podcast. If Jesus was killed by Herod as a baby, would he have died for the sins of the world? And this one, I just give a pretty simple no to. Okay. Interesting. I should, shouldn't have asked a closed question. If Jesus didn't die for the sins of the world if he, when he was killed as a baby by Herod, why did he not? Because... Again, it's like what we were saying before. Jesus' death was an act of faithful obedience and submission to God. So if Jesus had been murdered accidentally or you know, accidentally run over by a camel, um, <laughs> then it wouldn't be the same as Jesus being executed for his confession of faith. Jesus coming in the incarnation, was that an act of obedience and faith? Yeah, it was, it was, but there's not a a human victory in that yet. So Jesus dying as a baby, he doesn't then sort of live the human life that we ought to have lived, Mm -hmm. the the life of full obedience to God. Mm. So back to Hebrews 5, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, and then having been made perfect, he became the... Maybe I should... Bible's everywhere. Did you see that? I know this is an audio medium, but he just had to like reach a hand blindly in any direction and a Bible appeared in it. (laughs) Make sure I get my English Bible. Showing off with his Greek. (laughs) (laughs) Because if I reached my Greek Bible, I wouldn't have been able to read this particular passage. So Hebrews 5, verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Mm. So he learned obedience and he was made perfect. Now, I think what that means is he learned obedience in that through the experience of suffering, so chiefly the suffering of the passion, but through all the limitations of human life, he remained faithful to God. And again, if we picture Jesus as a real human being, not somebody who, who sort of got downloaded all of the world's knowledge, sort of like in the Matrix when you get plugged into something and then you, know, you suddenly learn karate. But that Jesus is growing in his self-awareness, his identity as the incarnate uh, son of God. And he has to keep on choosing obedience as an act of faith. So when there's the opportunity for him to escape death by saying, yeah, no, nah, it's, it's all nonsense, isn't it? 
but he, he chose not to do that. And he didn't cho choose not to do that because he had this certainty, prevision, omniscient thing of, yeah, I know I'm the son of God and I'm going to rise again, mm. but it's, I trust the promise of the Father that I'm going to rise again. That obedience perfects him as the one who can bring salvation. Did he only reach that obedient perfection at the time that he died? Or was there a point where, like, earlier on he could have got there? Like, say, you know, when he was 26, there was a burning building and he chose to go in and save someone from the burning building and lost his life in the process. Would, would that have been a death that could have been a death for the sins of the world? There's certainly something about the bearing the curse, and I guess the fact that he was cursed in the Jewish court is... I mean, that's not the same as the bearing the curse of God, but it, it, it's a you know, curse to see who hangs on a tree. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the fact of crucifixion is a visible sign of God's curse, I guess. We would lose that as a teaching tool. The obedience unto death that Paul talks about in Philippians 2, that it was his obedience to God that resulted in this death. I think that's, that's the bit that's critical. So perhaps running into a burning building to save somebody because he was obedient to God Certainly very different than being, you know, caught up in the massacre of the innocents by Herod. Yes. This is where it rubs up against the sovereignty of God and the idea of, and I, and I have a feeling maybe this is where we landed when we talked about it in the original episode, that God is not a God of what's the bare minimum I can do to save humanity. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, the questions of, what would have been the minimum act are sort of beside the point because God doesn't do the minimum yeah. effective act. God goes all in. Sure, sure. And I think also, you know, the fact that we even think this is possible, I think betrays the fact that, well, I was going to say Christians generally, but I think our particular tradition of Christianity <laughs> so downplays the life and ministry of Jesus. Mm. You know, we, we just have this supermarket Christianity that jumps from from Christmas to Easter mm. and sells hot crust buns on December 27th or 26th as if that's all that, all that mattered. You know, Jesus became human and then he died. Isn't that just because it's too good to wait? That's oh, yeah, I, I love eating hot crust buns. I can do it <laughs> anytime. Same way, same way that I listen to, to Christmas carols. My parents ate hot cross buns on Boxing Day at the end of last year and Glorious. I didn't know how to feel about it. Yeah, yeah. My wife would not be happy if I did Would you that. say that they're exactly the problem. problem that you're talking about in Christian culture today? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your parents are the problem. Yeah, I'm not sure that I commit myself to that. Good, that was a test. You passed. <laughs> but, you know, we so downplay the, the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and, and I think that comes because our tradition of Christianity, or, yeah, we don't read the Gospels as much as we read the Epistles. And the epistles get the summary messages. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, raised according to the scriptures. Yes, that's true. But when Paul says that, there is so much wrapped up in that word Christ that you get from reading the Gospels and the mm. narrative and, and all of his interaction and all of his response to the Pharisees and his recapitulation of Israel's history and his life of faith and faithfulness. That's good. Mm. So 
if we're thinking through like this idea of Jesus dying for us, we want to make sure that as we do that, we hold it in the context of the entire life of Jesus. We know that from the time that he became incarnate, maybe before that, he was on the journey of getting to the cross. But everything that leads up to that point is important for who he is and who we see him to be, mm. who we know him to be, and then who we should be in response to that because mm. it's it's not just trust in Jesus and get to go to heaven, but know Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus, become more like Jesus, yeah, be changed by Jesus in all of who he is. Yeah, and see in him authentic human life, the fulfilment of human life. I, I guess, you know, the question that as it was posed would he have died for the sins of the world even even that summary of who Jesus is and what he came for is not the whole story mm. which is pretty extraordinary like if you died for the sins of the whole world and you're able to say that's just part of my resume you know that shows how awesome you are i'm not trying to downplay the significance of the cross whatsoever but to to keep on magnifying the work of christ yes he, he came that he might die a sacrifice of atonement. But wrapped up in that, he came as the, the second Adam, as the fulfillment of humanity, as the first fruits of the new creation. He, he came as the final prophet to Israel. There is, mm. you know, there is so much wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he did. Um, certainly, I think there's more to his death than just the fact that he lost his life. And there's more to the incarnation than just that he has a human nature. Mm. so that life of of obedience like there are theories in in theology that talk about the um, uh, sort of incarnational redemption that say that jesus or that god in the incarnation has united himself with human nature in general so that humanity is changed in the moment of the incarnation because now god has united himself with you with human nature not the boy band <laughs> um, but uh, but who we are. Although if God was a member of human nature, maybe they would have been better. <laughs> I, I think that's a whole other question for maybe for series three of your podcast. But the answer in Reformed theology is not so much that Jesus united himself to human nature in general so that we were all changed. Jesus united himself with a specific human nature. He in himself as an individual person was fully human and we are united with him by faith as our representative. He unites himself to us by promise and by the Spirit. So there is a, it's a, a covenantal union that we have, not an ontological union. We're not united with him in our being. Jesus doesn't unite us to himself in the incarnation. He unites himself to us through the Spirit by the promise of the gospel. Mm. So what was the question? <laughs> so some people would say that Jesus is the redeemer of the world simply by virtue of becoming human. Yeah. And we say, no, no, becomes human, which qualifies him to be the substitute. Yes. But to be the substitute, he, he lives a life of faithfulness mm. and he dies in obedience to God. He's human, I was going to say, and more, but he's not. But he's like... Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> I I just stop trying to sum it up. I'll just say, yep, <laughs> good one. Which I think brings us to the end of our, this discussion. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. It's been uh, excellent having finishing with a bang as always. <laughs> it's been a blast. It's been 
And it's been good having someone who's a professional theologian sharing your wisdom with us and not just Chris and I kind of making stuff up. Like most of our guests, <laughs> I think you have made it difficult for Tom and I to follow up next week with just us. So thank you. <laughs> our guest episodes are always more popular than just the Just Us episodes. Well, there you go. I'll listen to it at Great. least. So yeah. it's one more, one more listener. Yeah. Your boss might listen to it too. To well, that would be dangerous. Figure out if you should stay on star. <laughs> Speaking of your boss, if someone wanted to spend more time studying the Bible and becoming a little bit more engaged with theology and the mm. like, how could they do that? I'm glad you asked. It would certainly be a good pursuit. Often people think that Bible college is just for those who are going to be professional Christians, you know, church leaders or, or the like. But, you know, every Christian would value from some intentional theological study. So you could come and study one of our uh, grad, undergraduate or graduate programs. So a diploma in theology, a graduate certificate in theology. There's options there. There's also a thing called the Ridley Certificate. And the, the Ridley Certificate is really designed just for general members of the church to understand more about the Bible and about about God and Jesus. Not just for Christians, of course. If you're a, a explorer, if you're interested in trying to understand what is it the Christians think and Christians say about this faith, that would be a, that would be a good way. So ridley.edu.au is the website. That would be the place to look. And you can study online. You don't have to turn up here in Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So got online programs all the way through. The certificate is all online, uh, videos uh, to watch. But yeah, all the degree programs are available online as well. And, and if someone happened to be listening to who is into children's or youth ministry, yeah, they wanted to get better at it, would, would you be the person who would teach them? That's a great question. I would be. I would be. I would love to talk to you if you're interested in children's and youth ministry. Sometimes we think that just because they're children and young people, then ministering to them must be easier. And I think it's the reverse. There are more things that we need to consider that we would honour them well and work out how they fit in the kingdom of God. I'd love to have you back for a whole podcast about just that. <laughs> Anytime, Chris. Just to let you get on your soapbox <laughs> and let rip, and I can clap. Great. Well, remember to go to ridley.edu.au to get more of Graham's wisdom and expertise and everyone else's here, and they're not too far out on a theological limb most of the time in that stuff. If you want the far out on the theological limb, you need to stay right here on this podcast. We're just going to do the wrap-up thing now, which will be recorded later. Great. And <laughs> Thanks for having me with you, boys. Clap. So that was our interview with Reverend Dr. Graham Stanton. He just told you where you can find out more and check out his stuff. Go to ridley.edu.au to sign up for the online classes or sign up for the in-person classes if ever they're allowed to happen again. Chris, if you want to find more from you, where can they go? Well, you can go to chrismorphew.com for all the info on my books and things, or you can go and look up Chris Morphew on YouTube. And that's kind of like my online course, except it doesn't really teach you anything very much except what's going on in the supermarket tabloids this week. And maybe here's some 10-year-old hot takes about One Direction. So if that's the kind of curriculum you're after, look me up on YouTube. You, 
you specifically won't regret it. <laughs> Everyone else, no guarantees. And how about you, Tom? Uh, <laughs> you can find me online. I'm TW French on Instagram and YouTube. But you can also go to my website where I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tomfrench.com.au forward slash disciples, then you can get the introduction and the second chapter of my new book, A Dozen Disappointing Disciples. And you can read it before anyone else does, except for the people who've already downloaded it. But go there, check it out, and then you can get ready for the release of the book. It's going to be huge. Very Do it. It's so good. And also, I can't remember if I've said this publicly or just privately, but that cover is excellent. Yeah, it's pretty funny. That was all Matt Baker, who is the artist who does my covers these days, and my wife, who designed it. What a team. What a team. All right, well, it's been a podcast. Sure has. Sure has. I will see you later. See ya. Bye.